0: You're listening
1: to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Labor, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's
2: a song. It's our favorite melody. It's a song. Give it
0: a bit of a bit of our stretch. Hi, huh? I'm Errol Laborde and uh, our topic today is about booze, especially the those with the Louisiana influence. Uh, rum and Coca-Cola, by the way, it's not, you couldn't call it a Louisiana drink. It's probably a, a, a universal drink, but certainly we grow a lot of sugarcane here. Uh, probably don't make as much rum as we should be making, but uh, we grow a lot of sugarcane. you know, and up in northeast Louisiana, Monroe, the, the whole area between Monroe and Vicksburg was where the whole thing about bottling soft drinks and putting caps on them started uh, with the Bidenhorn family up there. And so uh, Louisiana was important in the development of Coca-Cola as a product. Uh, Prior to that, it was served at the, uh, you go to a pharmacy, it was a a counter drink where they'd mix it for you. And then once they put it in the bottle and then they had the little cap that you'd flip which made a popping sound, hence the word pop. Anyway, enough of that. And let's get into the uh, let's get into the current. With me is uh, Tim McNally, who's a, a renowned writer and uh, author, and he has a great little book out now. It's called Sazerac. It's named after Sazerac. Um, Sazerac is a, a native drink of New Orleans. Uh, it has a status with the state. Tim, is it like the official? Is, is it? The, I don't think they call it the official drink, but they they give it some sort of title to recognize it. With the state It is
1: actually the official cocktail of the city of New Orleans, as defined by the Louisiana Legislature in nineteen eighty. No, in two thousand and eight.
0: Okay, <laughs> so so that's what it is—the official cocktail of the city of New Orleans, and it's uh, you know it used to be. I mean, it, it, it was around; it was on menus. I I've kind of seen sort of like a resurgence uh, of interest in the in, in the sazerac. We're going to talk about that and about. Louisiana's influence uh, with some drinks and some cocktails. Anyway, anyway, let's begin with the Sazerac. Though, tell us a little bit about the uh, about the origins of the drink.
1: Well, I know you've always been a Sazerac drinker, Errol. You like a good Sazerac. Yeah, good uh, one. Yeah. I've had the good, I've had the great pleasure to be out with you when you've uh, pursued that uh, uh, adventure. Uh, except, the Sazerac, except, uh, except him. I create. I, I'd be exiled
0: among Sazerac drinkers. Because I could I, I I I commit a major heresy, and that is I asked for mine over ice. Uh and, and the Will reason you? is, uh I know that's wrong, but because we <laughs> want to last longer, okay? And there are some bars when they do the Sazerac, they do like two fingers worth, all right? And it's it's hardly worth it. But you know, I want something I can kind of sip and that would last for a while. But other than that, I'm I'm a committed Sazerac drinker.
1: It's it's never wrong, Errol, if you enjoy it. That's not wrong. No. So there you go. But uh, yeah, the Sazerac um, was a uh, drink that started out in a apothecary in a pharmacy in the 400 block of Royal Street. And the gentleman who started the whole thing was Emil Peychaud, P-E-Y-C-H-A-U-D. And he, uh, as most pharmacists did, back in the 1830s and 1840s, uh, he um, um, had a, uh, an additive that we put into medicine called bitters. And bitters were a mixture of, um, of uh, botanicals that no one ever um, knew what was in it except the guy who put it all together and uh, that was their trade secret. Every apothecary, every pharmacy had their own brand of bitters and Peychaud was no different. He was uh, actually his, uh, he was French Haitian and his parents uh, were from Haiti uh, and he came here as a very young man and took an interest in pharmacology uh, such as it was at the day. So he created um, a, a new drink uh, which would have more people uh, coming to his pharmacy more often than as if they just needed medicine. And, um, and then eventually, in about 1842, 1843, he added into his drink um, a cognac. And that cognac was from the cognac house in France of Sazerac Forgefi. Uh, and so the drink took on the name of the cognac, Sazerac. Now, before adding the Sazerac, what was in the drink? Exactly what is in there before. Absinthe was in there. Uh, the bitters were in there. A little sugar cube was in there. Exactly what was in it before.
0: OK. And so absinthe and bitters and the sugar cube. And then they started adding the uh, uh, the uh, the cognac.
1: He, he thought that the cognac would add a little more depth of flavor to the drink, and uh he did, and it it did, and it it took off and to be a very popular drink. Now, back in those days, Errol, you did not name a cocktail. You didn't have to. You if you wanted a particular style of something, you went to where it was made. And uh, but but soon um with this drink, others picked up on it. And so, um, if you wanted a Sazerac, you'd go to a couple of different places. That was never the case prior to this point. So this drink took on a name, Sazerac, and it is the oldest named cocktail in the world.
0: And then, um, ultimately, there was a, a bar called the Sazerac that opened.
1: Well, not in his place. The he, it was still Paychows Pharmacy, Paychows Apothecary. The bar that opened up was done when he sold the rights to the drink to a series of his customers, and they moved from the 400 block of Royal down to the uh, 300 block of Royal Street, uh, and that bar. Today, actually, I believe Bevelo Lighting Fixtures is there in that location, but that bar went from Royal Street all the way back through to Exchange Alley on the backside. So a thing to do, I mean, you drink
0: Sazerac's all year round, but uh, i can imagine like around Christmas time and New Year's when there's a lot of oysters out, uh, especially for the men to go to an oyster bar or a regular bar and have a, a Sazerac and an oysters Man, you probably the Top of the world, right there.
1: That is top of the world. That is a beautiful romance.
0: Now, we caused the transition though away from uh, um, Sazerac to, uh, or, or, or away from uh, Cognac to uh, whiskey.
1: Well, this is the part of the story that I was most intrigued by um, when I started to do the research, um, uh, and like you, I like the Sazerac to begin with which is today uh, more commonly made with rye whiskey. Uh, But the Sazerac underwent a series of ingredient changes and never changed its name, which I thought was pretty interesting. Because today, when you just create a cocktail and take a one-off, you know, uh, replace this ingredient with another ingredient, it takes on a whole new name. But the Sazerac, since 1842, has not changed its name But its ingredients change frequently and uh, so in France um, where the cognac came from in the in 1884 to 1890 there was a phylloxera epidemic. Phylloxera is a root louse that attacks the tendrils of the grapevine and after a while those little louses will suck the life out of the grapevine. Well they got into all of France. So France literally ran out of wine in 1885 to 1895. And here we were in New Orleans, we had to uh, have a drink, had to have cocktails, we were committed to them. Already a lot of cocktails were coming out of this town, with the Sazerac being one of the more popular ones, but now we couldn't get cognac anymore. So um, uh, a number of different um, uh, cocktail styles came in and we were as well port. We're at the bottom of this great river where the bourbons were shipped down from Kentucky and Tennessee in those days. And uh, so we had a lot of that. So what the heck, we'll get along without cognac. We'll just put rye bourbon in it because that's what we had a lot of in barrels at the port. Uh, and so that changed at that point. And today, that okay. sort of okay. The whole bourbon
0: versus rye bourbon. Um, the if the if the rye done in Kentucky. Yes, Kentucky. Okay, and then uh, and then the corn is done in Tennessee. Yes. All right, and so what you get. Any of properly made Sazerac these days would be Kentucky bourbon.
1: Well, Kentucky that, would be, that would be a way to go, yes. That, that That's one of the ways to go. That's not the original Sazerac, of course, as we just discussed. The, the cognac is the original Sazerac, and you can still get a Sazerac with cognac. Right. Now, the next ingredient that was a problem was absinthe and absinthe began to be politically incorrect Um, and and there was no shortage of absinthe that's a distilled spirit so but absinthe became politically incorrect um in the late 1800s uh with uh the problems that people having you know uh, hallucinogenic stories and all that type of stuff cutting ears off and everything so the united states was the first country in the world to quote ban absinthe in 1905. So here we were with a drink that was indigenous to or related to New Orleans, Sazerac, that did not have the original cognac ingredient, couldn't get it, so now we have rye bourbon in there, and then we're missing absinthe, another key component of the drink, and Pernod was the logical substitute which gave that quality to the drink also. So we've got Pernod and rye bourbon in the drink.
0: Now, for those not familiar with all this talk here about absinthe, absinthe would be a, um, would it be fair to call it sort of a a liquid-flavored type of uh, uh, liquor?
1: Yes, strong, around? 62% to 68% alcohol. So when people talk about Hallucinogenic. The truth of the matter is they're probably getting a lot of alcohol. Right. And uh, so, but it was it was quote banned and the, then it became banned in France, and then it just the, the dominoes fell. Spain and a lot some of the countries, however, did not ban absinthe, like Portugal never banned absinthe. But wasn't there also a problem? Uh there was something in it called
0: wormwood and Wormwood was seen as a poisoning, that, that absinthe was actually
1: uh, poisoning people? No, well, it depends in, you know, in what quantity, which you bring me to another story, as everything does. Uh, but um, wormwood is the essence of absinthe, and wormwood is a wart. It is a botanical. It is not wood that has been attacked by worms. It is a botanical, it's a real plant. And that is one of the key ingredients in absinthe.
0: But in New Orleans, there easy. was a- I'm sorry? Was, in New Orleans, there was a famous bar called the uh, the Absinthe House. And people could go there and they had this beautiful uh, bar counter and they get a drink, uh, an absinthe frappé. Uh, uh, and so a lot of absinthe was served in New Orleans.
1: Well, New Orleans had a lot in common with Paris. And Paris and New Orleans were the key communities where absinthe was very much in vogue. Absinthe was served in both of those communities by using, a, in the center of the table, a round, very elaborate cut glass bowl. And off of that bowl were spigots. And those spigots, the bowl was filled with cold water that was kept cold because it was like crystal. And the spigots were slowly turned a little bit to allow drippings to come out. Those drippings went down onto a slotted spoon that sat over a glass. In the slotted spoon was a sugar cube and in the glass was a little covering at the bottom of absinthe. And as that water trickled over the sugar cube, through the spoon, into the glass, that Absinthe turned cloudy, a little greenish, and that is where the absinthe nickname comes from, the Green Fairy. Uh, so
0: ultimately, Absinthe was banned in New Orleans as well. So it was missing for a while. And so the bartenders tried to find some sort of substitute for it. And then at some point we saw, if you look at it at a, A recipe card for Sazerac today, you'll see something called Herb Saint. Tell us about Herb
1: Saint. Herb Saint was created by two New Orleanians uh, who had fought in World War I and had been exposed to an absence substitute product. They were very much impressed with it. So they kept trying to invent it. Uh, Along comes Prohibition the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution. And uh, their research was stymied because they had no way to get it to market. It was going to be illegal. Uh, but in 1933, 1934, when the 21st Amendment to the Constitution was passed, uh, repealing prohibition, scent came to market. And that was a Lejeune of Grant gang and scent was an absent substitute. Herb scent means sacred herb. And it is a um, a. Uh, also every letter in herb scent, for the most part, uh, is used in absence. Except for the R. The, Except R, for the R. R is in the word. Exactly okay, right. But amazingly, everything else in the word
0: herb <laughs> scent uh, is also used in uh, in absence. So today's sassarac, then, you know, a classic sassarac of today would be rye whiskey. Herb Saint, Bithers, Pesceau's Bithers?
1: Pesceau would be acceptable, yes.
0: Okay, how about Agrestino, or did it just- no, that's a
1: little different, you know, okay. and also there is a Sazerac Rye Whiskey, the label it says Sazerac on it, but also Old Overholt Rye Whiskey is used in a lot of locations such as Galatois. Okay, and then the
0: a sugar cube
1: and- I'm sorry uh you always have a sugar cube or or yes, right there. in there but we now have absinthe back with us so um a new orleanian ted bro uh who was a chemist at shell oil in norco right north of new orleans up the river was walking along the french quarter one day going by an antique store called Luculus, which is just recently closed And he looks in the window and sees this apparatus, which he doesn't know anything about. He's curious, he goes inside and asks about it. And they tell him that is an absinthe fountain. It really piques his curiosity. Ted eventually ends up in the Loire Valley in France, making absinthe from the original recipe at the original distillery where absinthe came from. Ted, because he's a chemist, does all of the chemical work on the product he's getting out of his distillery. He runs a gas chromatograph on the whole thing and brings it back to the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms in Washington, D.C., a division of the Bureau of Treasury, and says, I want a license for this. They thought Ted was nuts. And so, but what Ted showed them is that the original legislation outlawing absinthe was never at the level at which absinthe operated. Thizone, T-H-U-I-Z-O-N-E, was the component in there that everybody thought was uh, hallucinogenic, uh, but it was never, ever at that level. So in truth, absinthe really was never illegal, but no one had a way in those days to chemically prove it. So it everybody thought it was illegal and it just it's so it was, but Ted brought it back. His absinthe is called Lucid L U C I D and it gave rise to absinthe from all over the world. Who bottles it? Sorry, who bottles his uh his absinthe? It's bottled in 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 France, all right?
0: Okay. we should mention that there's a uh. A company that has emerged in New Orleans—it's called, it goes by the name of Sazerac. Sazerac Company. The company itself is—it's it's not an old company, but it's—it's it's kind of developed through mergers, and and it, it it has the the Sazerac brand now, and and it and it uh, produces the uh, the Sazerac bourbon and the, the, the Sazerac uh, rye whiskey and a lot of other auxiliary products too. It's probably one of the largest manufacturers or distributors. Of liquor based products in the country.
1: Sazerac Distillers is the largest distilling company in America. They own, I don't know how many, every day it changes. They keep adding labels onto the deal. But interestingly, and they're based here um, with the um, um, Goldberg family, but they never had a, dist- a still or a distilling operation in New Orleans where they were based up until the opening last year of the Sazerac House, which has, and as you well know, Errol, because I've met you at this thing, it has the most, one of the most beautiful stills on the planet.
0: Yeah, and by the way, if, if you come to New Orleans, and, the, and this isn't the commercial, this is just like from the heart, one of the great new attractions in New Orleans is the Sazerac House on Canal Street. It's really a, a museum. It's not a bar uh, to the Sazerac and to the whole liquor industry in, in, in Louisiana, and a lot of virtual displays out there, and it's really, really uh, nicely done. Um, when I'm out at dining and I uh, for dinner, and if, if I want to drink before, I find myself more often going to to cocktails rather than wines uh, these days, just because I I don't know I think it's more interesting in cocktails is. Different things in there. There's fruit. There's uh, you know. There's different combinations. Am I wrong with that, or should or should everybody still be hanging? I, I'm not, I don't dislike wine, but uh, I find myself enjoying cocktails more.
1: You're not wrong at all, Errol. In fact, with the COVID crisis, uh, uh, cocktails have moved out of the bars into the homes, and the sales of spirits is literally through the roof. Uh, Now, wine is still selling very well, and and a lot of people are buying wine and having that at the house. But cocktails, as you indicated, are a more adventuresome pursuit because cocktails are more interactive. So uh, the um, the, the cocktails at home, getting recipes from various sources uh, and trying them out seems to be uh, quite a popular pursuit. I don't think that's going to go away. You
0: know, something like an old-fashioned, which is a classic, a classic drink, Uh, you know, sometimes a great drink to relax, but it's got that fruit on it, you know, some people look down at the fruit, I I love all that, you know, and so there's just a, uh, there's a lot
1: of flavor in there. Sometimes a cocktail can be overwhelming alcohol-wise and doesn't go well with food, food and pure alcohol don't mix, but, um, but if you have a balanced, well-made drink, it can go with almost anything on the table. If you order a drink um, and it involves
0: whiskey and they ask you what brand do you want, what is your call brand these days?
1: Well, it sort of depends on the drink. If I am drinking a Sazerac, um, I will order the drink with Sazerac rye. And if they don't have that, we will go to Old Overholt on, on the deal. I'm not that big of a whiskey drinker. I'm sort of a, a mono, you know, I, I just stay with that. Um, in, in terms of, um, of what I like to have. Uh, but if I'm, I'm, I move around a little bit in the cocktail world. So obviously, here in New Orleans, as you well know, uh, we have uh, the French 75, which is very popular here. Uh, Pimm's Cup is very popular here um and uh so i'm i'm more of a universal uh spirit drinker rather than just staying with one style
0: right. um it seems like maker's markers have become really put. a lot of people call for that these days and probably because they just that's what they hear everybody else getting
1: yeah i think that's what happens it's kind of a me too thing and it's a fine bourbon fine. maker's mark is a wonderful way to go as they all are. I mean, I don't think you're you're saying bourbons now, if, if you like adventure, you're seeing bourbons now come off of every state in the union. Uh, even here in New Orleans, we have several bourbons that are being made here. Uh, they are being made in accordance with the traditional and legal style. Uh, but Colorado is doing a fabulous job with bourbon. Japan is doing a fabulous job with bourbon. So it's a great time if you're a bourbon lover.
0: Must be a risky business to be in though I, I can see probably a, a lot of legalities you got to deal with and, and uh, a fickle market. must be a tough business to be in I, I guess you do it just because
1: uh, you love doing it. Well there's you know there's a lot of stills uh, distilling companies here in the city limits of New Orleans and they're doing pretty well. Uh, they all are doing quality work and uh, they're doing pretty well the legalities in Louisiana, and I cannot necessarily speak to other states, were straightened out a couple of years ago because the after effects of prohibition were to clamp down on people making um, commercial spirits, but the state has come around uh, to uh, allow uh, a lot of these companies to take effect and to profit. We're
0: talking to Tim McNally who's uh a an expert on uh, on wine and related and related subjects he has a new book, uh, a really good book. It's called The Sazerac, and it's published by
1: LSU Press. Tim is it out now at all the bookstores. Uh, all the bookstores and the usual outlets, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and the local independent bookstores, and and it can be ordered directly from LSU Press.
0: Yeah, it's a fun little book uh, uh, to read. What are some other classic Louisiana cocktails?
1: Well, uh, we just talked about uh, the uh, cocktails. Louisiana, Errol, as you well know, because you're a historian, Louisiana, South Louisiana, was always kind of bent toward spirits and wine and and drinks uh, of, of a hearty nature. Um, and part of it was due to the fact that we were French Catholic, still are, I think, for the most part, and there was no ban on that. The uh, English uh, who came here, the Protestants who moved uh, to our state, uh, settled mostly in the northern part of the state from Baton Rouge to the north, and they had a problem with the French Catholic laissez-faire attitude. So um, there are a lot of um, laws still in the books. We still have a lot of dry wards in this state. around your hometown, are there any dry areas there, uh, uh, Marksville?
0: But, yeah. but if you go north of there, uh, if you get out of that, at that part, uh, yeah, you do get more dry areas, yeah. And so, yeah, there are some people who, talking about cocktails is sort of a, a foreign <laughs> topic, but they probably sneak a beer from time to time,
1: I would think. I'm sure they do better than that. But uh, the, so that's the different, you know, the north-south differential in our state is, is causes a difference in lifestyle. Our food here in the south tends to be more uh, international, uh, adventuresome than it is in the north, which tends to be more Americanized. Um, uh, the the uh, theme restaurants and, uh, and the chain restaurants tend to gravitate more to the northern part of the state than to the southern part of the state. But what happened down here, uh, around the New Orleans area and in the Cajun area, in the, on the Cajun Prairie, around Lafayette and Crowley and Eunice, in those areas, uh, when we became uh, settled, we, sell, we were settled with French Catholics. And uh, some of the French were Canadian French, but we were settled mostly with French Catholics. And in effect, we were a long way from the capital of this nation. So to enforce laws in this area uh, became a struggle, became a challenge. So we were about as far away from Washington as you could get, And we were across a great river, which was difficult to to get across. So um, we tended to, because we were French Catholic, tended to default to uh, drinking and eating uh, with great abandon and freedom. You know, if you look at a a map of um,
0: of, uh, Southwest Louisiana, Calcasieu Parish, the northern border is a straight line except it makes this little loop right in the middle, kind of jumps up and then goes back to the straight line. And that's the town of De Quincey, which once belonged to Beauregard Parish, which is the parish above it. And they had a big referendum where the parish went went dry and they didn't want to. And so this was years and years ago. So they had this big fight and they were allowed to to vote. And so they vote to transfer to Calcasieu Parish so that they didn't
1: have to be a, a dry parish. That was a smart vote. That was good for them. Where uh, I went to school, uh, Errol, at North Texas, uh, Denton was dry when I was there. Uh, In fact, from Walnut Hill Lane in North Dallas, which is right near my home, all the way up to the Oklahoma border was completely dry, including where the school was. And there were 40,000 college students in Denton between North Texas University and Texas Woman's University about 10 years after I left, a trailer park in Denton, Texas, voted to have a self-governance, and then they voted themselves wet,
0: yeah. and
1: they made a lot of money. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm calling our uh, executive producer here, Kelly
0: Masco. We have a little section called This or That, where she's going to ask you some kind of comparative questions. Uh, we don't grade you on this, but, but, but just... Let's just see what you got to say, Kelly.
2: All right. You're not graded, but you may be judged by listeners. (laughs) Um, So the first one, Tim, is Sazerac or old-fashioned?
1: You know, um, it's one of those things, making a choice. If I have to, I'm going to go with the Sazerac. But they are both equally wonderful cocktails when made correctly. I think you stand a better chance of getting an old fashioned made correctly than a Sazerac made correctly. So I might default to old fashioned.
2: There you go. Plus
1: plus you get the fruit. Yeah, (laughs) that's the sustenance right there, exactly. All
2: right, the second one is hurricane or Pimm's cup?
1: Oh, See, there's no contest there. The hurricane as we know it, uh, as it has been brought to us by just a great bar but not for what it's known for, it is not a original, true, authentic hurricane. And uh, I really, the Pimm's Cup, by the same token at Napoleon House is not according to the English recipe, but it's better than the hurricane is.
2: Um. Okay, so if you, have a daiquiri. Do you prefer a frozen daiquiri or just a simple daiquiri mixed with ice?
1: Oh, no, daiquiris are, you know, I enjoy getting someone a real daiquiri. Chances are they've never had a real authentic daiquiri. Not frozen, but a real authentic daiquiri. And they are delicious, uh, interesting, even complicated drinks, but not the way you get them, uh, although Drive-through daiquiri shops here are sort of legendary, and you got to go through one.
2: Agreed. Um, okay, and then the last one is Pecho's Bitters, or and every everyone be nice to me if I get this wrong. Angostura Bitters.
1: Angostura. Well, I like Pecho because it's local. Angostura is a Caribbean bitter. Uh, both of them are excellent, but they both are made to go in different places. So depending on what you're having. But I personally, I like Peychaud because of its New Orleans connection.
0: You know, It seems like whoever created the first bitters should have given them another name than bitters.
1: I mean, to me, <laughs> that, that word is just totally misleading. I well, mean, what they, are, they did do what's right, and I agree with you, Eric, but what they did do that's right is bitters are about 45% alcohol. So nobody really realizes how much alcohol is in bitters because you don't, you just use a drop or two to add the flavoring to whatever it is you're making. But it's a high alcohol beverage. One other drink I wanted to mention, it's uh,
0: uh, very popular in New Orleans, maybe in spots throughout the state, was the Rainbow's Gin Fizz. Uh, And places like the Roosevelt Hotel, you know, became popular for their... uh, Uh, there was a gin fizz and then I think Ramos wasn't he a local bartender
1: who kind of enhanced Henry C. Ramos is buried in St. Louis number one okay and He he was a local bartender and he created this drink which has driven bartenders mad since the late 1880s when he created it because it's a it's egg whites in there that have to be broken down to add to the foaming of the drink. And it's a lot of work. At one point, many of the bars in New Orleans employed as many as 15 shakers, and that is young men, young young men always, who just stood beside the bar, took the drink, and shaked it until it became its proper consistency.
0: Wow. Thank you, you know, there's a the famous uh Um, when Huey Long was a a, a senator there was a a famous film clip this was when they used to show like news excerpts at the the movies and they had this scene where Huey Long was at a a hotel in New York and he was giving a display of the Ramos Gin Fizz and of course he was a big supporter of the uh, the Roosevelt Hotel and so, this is a Ramos Gin Fizz from, from the Roosevelt Hotel in New Orleans I think they even brought up a bartender from the hotel and so he watches the bartender make it and then the bartender gets in the glass and he takes a sip he says you know this is good but he said uh, i'm not sure if they got it exactly right maybe we should have one more sip and so the guy fills the glass again i think this is right i think this is right but let me try again anyway the joke is of course that he keeps on uh, that he keeps on drinking more and more but he actually did a lot to uh to popularize the. Uh, that's right.
1: That was Huey Long's favorite cocktail, the Ramos gin fizz. Huey Long went to New York with the purpose of meeting with the financial community to promote Louisiana bonds. And he checked into the New Yorker Hotel and went right from the limousine, which came from LaGuardia, into the hotel to the bar at the New Yorker Hotel and asked for a Ramos gin fizz. They made him a Ramos gin fizz, or their version of it, and he said, you should be ashamed. This is the worst thing I've ever put in my mouth, and I'm going to do something about it. He goes to his room, calls the head bartender at the uh, bar in the Roosevelt Hotel, and said, I want you here tomorrow morning. Now, in those days, flying like that was not that good, but Huey, when Huey summoned you, you went. Sure. The bartender made it to the morning. And so Huey Long brought that bartender into the uh, bar at the New Yorker Hotel. And in fact, this is a YouTube video. So it is historic fact. We're not just making this up. And Huey Long called all the staff together and said, this here man is going to teach you how to make this drink, which you don't know how to do. And they learn how to make a Ramos Gin Fizz according to Huey Long and the head bartender at the, at the
0: So you have to look at those of you who are listening go to YouTube and look for I guess you you you, you code Huey Long
1: and Huey Long Ramos, Ramos Gin Fizz R yeah, M O S Gin Fizz. And
0: that's good to you, and it's 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 kind of worth seeing. It's also used nice to see the Huey Long's antics, and uh, I mean, uh, he was he, he was a real real showman. Tim, but before we go, just talk a little bit about wine. What are the, uh, what's interesting to you about wine these days?
1: Well, um, I think I've gone lighter. Um, I used to really enjoy a, a Bordeaux or a Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot. Um, I've moved on to Pinot Noir. Uh, even uh, moved on some of the wines of the Lois Valley, we mentioned a moment ago. Um, uh, Lower alcohol wines are interesting. The wines from Portugal are pretty fascinating because they're like 12% alcohol, uh, but and they're made with grapes that we don't know anything about. So um, it's fun to do that little bit of research. They're grapes we cannot pronounce either, by the way, Uh, we don't know those names, but um, um, I, I think I think that's the story of me right now is uh, not wanting those big, bold, uh, extracted wines. I'm not drinking many of those. How about the whole prosecco
0: um, sensation right now? Are you?
1: Prosecco is so interesting in that they've done a lot in that part of Italy to upgrade their product. Uh, including grading it uh, letting you know they they now have a a domain uh, origin control a uh, designation um, prosecco is is obviously made usually made in the bulk method so it doesn't have the subtleties or the elegance of champagne but it certainly is a lot cheaper so it's a it's a terrific beverage and it has a lot of versatility there's a, a lot of um, of cocktails made with prosecco uh, that were formerly known only as champagne cocktails, now they're made with prosecco. It's 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 done a great job. It really has. And just within a, within a few
0: years, it's become very popular. It has has a, has a nice flavor to it, uh, and people really get, get excited by it. Tim, just to wrap it up, what's the best what's the best drink that you make?
1: Probably Sazerac. Uh, my wife is the drink maker in the house. However, Brenda does a wonderful job and we, uh, uh, almost every night have a cocktail which of her making, uh, she makes, uh, Bloody Marys from scratch wow. and, um, and just, they're just delicious drinks. So, you know, if it's worth drinking, it's worth taking the time to do, or it's for me, it's worth having my wife do it.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, want to mention get your book, The Sazerac. It's uh, it's out. It's uh, good. It's a uh, it's it's uh, a quick read, which is a good thing. It's a nice thing to just relax and go through and read, and read a lot of history. And I really I really uh, appreciate that at bookstores and on Amazon.com and all the places that you'd uh, expect it. Also, want to remind people that if uh, you'd like to uh, subscribe to Louisiana Life magazine. Uh, you can call 504-828-1380, and, uh, and the person there will help you, or you can go to the uh, Louisiana Life website and have a nice drink on your side, and and, uh, and then it looks in the magazine. So anyway, Tim, thank you very much. I understand you have
1: uh, another book coming down the pike pretty soon. Well, we're trying to work on one. We're in the final throes of negotiating with LSU. So that's all well and good. And uh, uh, it's going to be uh, a little more encompassing, a little larger. But like you, Errol, I love history. So this book will also have a lot of history in it.
2: Okay.
1: Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Errol. Kelly, thank you very much.
0: All right. And again, we'll we'll go out with the Andrews sisters again. Take us back to Remy
1: Coca-Cola. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.
2: Make Trinidad like paradise, drinking rum and Coca-Cola. go down, point to Mala, both Mother and Daughter, working for the Yankee Dollar. Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider.
1: Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.